Welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover 2 Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. The Cover 2 Resources podcast is an ongoing series in which we interview experts in the fight against opioid addiction. It is made possible through donations and sponsorships from concerned individuals or organizations. If you want to help in the fight against opioid addiction, please consider donating or sponsoring the Cover 2 podcast. Go to cover2.org for more information. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources, and I'm here today with Troy Game. He's the owner and operator of Games Pharmacy in Lucasville, Ohio. Troy, welcome. Thank you, Greg. Good it's to be great, here. great to have you here. So you founded your company, The Pharmacy, in 1996. Since that time, what have you witnessed? Well, the pill mills exploded for a while there. Um, I actually joined the Board of Pharmacy, and we actually closed down all the 12 pill mills in my county. Um, but what we've seen now is since the the oxycodone has dried up and the prices went crazy. Hair, cheap heroin's come in, and, and we're now in the heroin epidemic. Okay. So um, I provided you my son's pharmaceutical records. And were you able to glean anything that we could use as uh, education, really, for other families out there that maybe have a loved one who's battling with an opioid addiction? Yeah, most of the time you have patients that are either they're before they're getting treatment or after getting treatment, they're getting drugs that are, they affect how you think. They're mind altering drugs. And a lot of times they'll put you on multiple drugs. The best thing I do is be an advocate for your, your loved one, your father, your son, your brother, your cousin, your boyfriend, whoever it is, find out about the medications, ask your pharmacist. They'll tell you lots of stuff. If you just ask them or we're not a group that's particularly jumping towards the counter to tell people about stuff. But if you ask, most farmers I know will be willing to sit, spend time with you and talk about anything you'd like to know about them. Also, there's multiple, multiple sites on the internet now where you can learn consumer information on a patient level, not only on a pharmaceutical level or, or a professional level about medications that help you learn more about them so you have better knowledge to ask better questions. Can you name one of those sites? Cite an example. Well, I would have to Google it, but there's and there's a lot of companies out there, drugs.com. There's a bunch of companies out there that actually have a professional and then they have a, a you know, you know layperson site. You can choose which one you're looking for if you're looking at the drugs. Perfect. Got it. Um, so now let's talk about overprescribing. You've got to be in a tough spot because, the, you know, you'll uh, a customer of yours will come in with a prescription and you know, you probably in the community, you know the physicians, all the physicians, you know the guys that are overprescribing. How do you deal with that? It's, it's a very complicated issue. Um, one of the bigger things we see is um, dentists overprescribing. 
and they do it as a matter of fact. Um, when you get a procedure done, they typically have their three drugs or whatever they write for each patient when they do whatever procedure. They do not look individually at the patient and decide what they think that patient needs. If, if say, the patient has a root canal done, they might write them 15 Vicodin, 15 Motrin, and some antibiotic. Why would they do that? Well, they Why want, is that a standard practice? Because they don't want the patients having to call back multiple times because they're having issues. So let's give everybody enough to cover them and we'll be okay. And so we've got to retrain the physicians, um, even the dentists and everybody else, that, to realize that it, because a patient might need a day's or a dose or two days, let's don't give them five so we don't have them calling back to the office again. If we're in a little inconvenience, let's, because here's what happens. When you take, you have a root canal and you need it pain for one day, and they gave you 15, you took four, what do you do with the rest of them? Most people stick them in their cabinets. Yep. What do you do? You just left the other 11 pills in there for your son, your daughter, whoever visits your house to open your cabinet up and take those pills. So what we need to do is start treating people like we want to take care of people instead of just like their cattle and we're going to run them through a course. We want to take care of people. We want to make sure that we give them, we take care of them so they can get through the issues. But they might only need narcotics for one day. And then after that, they can get by with Motrin or Tylenol. We need to start doing that. And if that makes them have two copays because they have to come back and get another day supply, well, it's going to have to cost them two copays. It's better than that than us making another addict out of a 15-year-old because we didn't want to have his mom have two $5 copays on her insurance. Okay. Is there also a liability, potential for liability, for filling these uh, prescriptions when it's obviously over-prescribing an opioid? Well, there's not a liability as far as... I would say for over-prescribing, if the prescription is not for a legitimate medical purpose, then it's technically not a prescription. The pill mills were actually writing prescriptions, and they weren't technically prescriptions because they weren't for a legitimate medical purpose. So if, if you're coming in and paying for a prescription, that's not a valid prescription. And if the pharmacist feels that there is a corresponding liability in the state of Ohio for that pharmacist filling that prescription. So they can actually, we, and we've had pharmacists lose their license over it. Um, so... Uh, a doctor who you know just is over-prescribing, have you ever refused to fill a prescription that one of your customers brought in to you? Hundreds of times. Um, I look at every prescription. You know, it, it depends. You have to look at the patient. Um, who's a patient? What's a condition? Many times I won't, if a, I don't know the patient, I won't fill the prescriptions if the patient comes back and I can talk to them. I need to ask them why they're taking this. The dosage sounds odd how long they've been on it. You know, I look at their ORS report, the previous history. Um, we can see those now. The ORS report, for the benefit of our viewers or listeners, I mean to say, describe that. The ORS report is the Board of Pharmacy, every prescription drug that's a narcotic and then some other ones that are just prescription drugs are stored in a database at the state of Ohio and it's called ORS. It's Automated Drug Reporting System. The pharmacist filling your prescription or the doctor treating you can actually access that and see your history. So if you're going to say four or five physicians and they're all giving you narcotics, they can really easily realize that they don't need to give you another one. So they should be looking at that. Uh, for example, I had a patient the other weekend that was getting treated for, for, she was an addicted patient, she was getting treated for addiction and she came in my store with a narcotic, which is just against what she should be doing. The nurse practitioner had failed to look at her words or she would have realized that she was in treatment and she should not have given her a narcotic. So I called the nurse practitioner back up and we got the prescription canceled. Wow. 
That's great. So, you, I mean, you really advocate for your customers. Yes, you have to. I mean, that's that's our part of our job is to is to take. You want your customers around as long as possible. They keep you in business. <laughs> so, and but you also want to take care of people's health, and that's what we're here for. We're here to take care of patients. So, Troy, you have access to all kinds of meds, even though you know the focus of you know our our discussion here is opioid addiction and the opioid epidemic, there's got to be alternatives out there. So when someone comes in with pain, um, what options do you have other than opioids? Well, and that's a really big question because there, there is, there's chiropractic, there's therapies, but it really depends on the patient and what is wrong with the patient. And so sometimes we don't know all the facts and, and sometimes it takes the patient or the patient's advocate, whoever's coming at their prescription to talk to the pharmacist, Hey, my brother, my sister, whoever it is, they fell last week or they fell six months ago and they're still giving them these things. Is that right? Should we be doing something else? Should we go see somebody else? Is there another, you know, is there a specialist or somebody we should be seeing instead of our general practitioner or this nurse practitioner that's in the, inside the clinic, you know, that we go to? Sometimes it's just changing physicians, but it starts with asking the right questions sometimes. So don't blindly follow and just fill the prescription. Ask, hey, are there alternatives? Yes. Something else that would work. Yeah, and I do it all the time. I, I will come to a patient if the doctor, uh, we have a lot of insurance companies that try to force people's meds, certain meds like methadone because it's cheap. Methadone is a very poor pain medication in my opinion. I do not advocate for it at all and I will do everything I can usually to get my patient on something else that's one, not as long acting and two, is better pain relief because that's what they're looking for at the time. If you if you, we get your pain under control, you will take less of it, and you're more less likely to get off of it when after that period of time and not continue on them and get addicted to it. So it's linked up to time is a lot of time associated with whether you could become addicted to that medication. If I keep you on it for years, well, you're going to be more likely to stay on it and be addicted to it than if I keep you on it for a couple of days. Not that I'm saying that you couldn't be on it something for two days and get addicted to it. It's just the chances of becoming addicted grow as long as you stay on something. So what advice would you give to families to help their loved ones steer clear of opioid addiction? Um, it's duration, um, how long they're going to be on something, what's wrong with them, get second opinions, ask your pharmacist for advice. They almost always tell you what they think about the drug they're giving them, the length of time they're giving it, the number of pills they're giving them. If a doctor writes you for a prescription for 100, you don't have to get 100 filled. You can get 10 filled, 5 filled. If you And the others are still there. You know, that you can still come back and get them if you need them, but you're not putting all those out there to, to be potentially stolen or taken or abused by somebody else. So take what you need and leave the rest. Don't, don't You don't have to fill all of them just because the doctor wants, doesn't want to have you come back for six weeks. So... Um, in looking from your perspective, the opioid epidemic, who do you think is at fault? Is it the drug companies, the doctors, or the pharmacists? I think there's a little bit of fault to go around with everybody. Um, we had we had doctors that wanted to make sure nobody was in pain. We had doctors that wanted to be greedy. We had some pharmacists that wanted to be greedy. Um, we had drug companies that wanted to be greedy. And a lot of this runs around revolves around money. Um, but I think we have a lot of people trying to do the right thing now. We still have some bad ones out there. We have 
we have pill mills cropping up as um, suboxone clinics now. They're disguised as one to help people, but they're really just another pill mill with a different name on it. So, you know, the, the Board of Pharmacy always got to be vigilant about going in and visit these people and making sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. But you're always going to have bad apples no matter where you go. We just got to try to root through them and get rid of them best we can and then try to help the people we can. So what lessons have you learned that can be shared with families about treating pain with opiates? Sure. Above and beyond, obviously, what we've talked about up to this point, which is really advocate, 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 and be sure that it's common sense. You use common sense. Don't blindly get something filled for 100 when maybe you need four. Yeah, and then I, I would say only take it when necessary. I, I will tell you that I suffered with, I had spinal meningitis, and it, it, the, the headaches you get is tremendous. I was in the hospital for two weeks. Um, they want to they want to take away pain so of course they're giving you all these super pain narcotics you know and the problem is is when you can when you go out they send you home with bottles full of them the trick is only take it when you have absolutely can't stand it anymore i say if you take it when you're just treating your pain and you're not treating anything else you're not taking one because it says every four to six hours on the bottle you say every four hours i should take one you know it might be every six hours it might be every eight or ten hours you can get by you don't have to take one and you, sometimes you can take an ibuprofen or naproxen, a non-steroidal or something in between. Sometimes it's chiropractic therapy you can do also. It just depends on what the condition is and what you're treating. But there are always are alternatives to taking opioids. But sometimes you have to take them. And what you want to do, you want to keep as short a duration as possible. So now let's talk about seniors for a second. That's another group that is just completely overprescribed. Um, and my, my opinion on that's just a little bit biased because I had a very recent experience where, um, my uh, wife and I, um, brought her mom, my mother-in-law, uh, home from an assisted living facility. When she checked out, they handed us all of her meds. And I want to show a picture to you of her meds. And maybe you can describe that. That's my wife holding the stack of meds. That's a lot of med boxes. <laughs> that sure is. That's like a foot and a half of them. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, I'd say it's, each box is, is a single drug. Yeah. Um, and it's it's nothing for... I, to have patients 50 on. per sheet. There's big old sheets. Yeah, so what they do what, is... What do they call those, by the way? Those are med boxes. And okay. what, they, what they're doing is they're putting each individual drug in, in its own separate box. And, and a lot of times they have like morning, noon, evening, and bedtime on them so they can dose the drugs accordingly. But it, it's not what you run into is when you add, you get multiple, multiple therapies, you get multiple, multiple side effects. So sometimes we're treating drugs for side effects of other drugs. Is there a better alternative? Sometimes, sometimes not. Sometimes the, the, the easiest way to do is to treat the side effect you're running to from the drug you're trying to treat the major condition from. Sometimes it's just that we just keep adding drugs and we don't really look at the, the medication list and try to shorten them down. So, I mean, this could be legitimate. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes, there? it could Boy, be. It, that, it, it's it, such a huge stack. That's, yes, well, it's like it's close to two foot high. Without seeing her, all the diagnosis, what they're treating her for, I can't. I couldn't give you because sure. I mean, there could be right. five of those drugs that are really just nothing but like Tylenol and different stuff like that. Mm. There could be there could be ten powerful narcotics in her. I, I can't see what it is, so I I, I can't tell you if it's, if it's. And then I'd have to know our conditions and sure. who's treating her, and you know, is it is it a single doctor? What we run to a lot of times Here's, is. 
there's a close-up of one of them anyhow. A lot of times what we run into is um, that, that was tramadol. So that is a pain medication there. Mm-hmm. Uh, tramadol was just recently scheduled. It was not a scheduled narcotic. It was brought out to be a, a non-narcotic, which narcotics is kind of a general term. We, we call them scheduled in the state of Ohio. And the lower the schedule is, the number on it, the more addictive it is. It's by its addiction, addiction potential. Is this pretty addictive? That's Criminal? a Schedule 3. So, yes, it would be. It okay. would be middle of the road. She, was, uh, she broke three ribs okay. in a fall prior to going into the home. And she was prescribed, I believe it was 48 of these. Is that? 48 pills? Seeing a nursing Criminals. home. Or seeing an assisted living home or a nursing home where you have nurses that are actually given the medication. Mm-hmm. If it's an as-needed drug, they might give a whole a, a lot of medication because the pharmacy doesn't want to have to send them out all the time. But they should only be given them to when the patient absolutely needs the pain for medication for pain. Yeah. So in that case, you have an advocate. It should be the nurse that's that's sitting there saying, "Do you really need this? How what what level your pain at?" And they're making a clinical decision at the time. Now, unlike when you're at home and you have a bottle in there, once you, if, especially if you're by yourself, if you start taking, I, I have firsthand knowledge of my brother that was in a jet ski accident that fractured um, four or five bones in his face and had over 100 stitches in his face that he started taking medication and it, it altered his perception of time. So he kept waking up and in pain, he just kept taking another pain pill and he almost overdosed because of that. And he could have died because of just the fact that the medication affects your th- way of thinking. So when you add these drugs and you're 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 giving these a bit large quantities somebody in a home setting, especially by themselves that's in a lot of pain, sometimes they fall asleep, they wake up and they think they must have slept eight or twelve hours and they only slept an hour and a half. So they get up and they don't look at a clock, they take another pain pill because they're hurting. You know, there's nobody there saying you can't take one yet again, it's only been two hours. Then somebody says, Okay, it's been two two hours, but I'm in pain, I need something else. We call the physician, see is there something else we can give them so we don't overdose the patient. And it's a lot of time it's that advocate. I'm, I, I I might beat this up a little bit, but you've got to have somebody out there looking out for you that somebody's asking the right questions. Because once you start on some of these medications, they affect your way of thinking. And you do not think the same as what you did when you weren't on them. So you're trying to rationalize why you're doing something. In your head, it seems perfectly logic. Somebody outside looking at it going, what are you doing? So, you know, we need you need somebody. The ones that don't have anybody is the ones I really worry about. The 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 elderly lady that lost her husband that lives alone her kids are in another state nobody hardly checks on her you know those are the people i really really worry about because they have nobody else you know and so i spend more time talking to those people asking questions you know how are you doing what how you know how you been how's the hip since you broke it that kind of stuff watching how often they get them filled or they call me a week early asking me to fill their medication and why you know those kind of things you have to pick up on and that's just part of being a pharmacist well, the customers of Games Pharmacist or Pharmacy, they've got an advocate in you. I can tell you that. Well, my whole staff's like that. So we, uh, if you weren't, I'd ha- I, I wouldn't have you very long because I tell them their job is to take care of the people. And sometimes people aren't very nice. People are having a bad day. They found the worst news of their life. They found their wife's got cancer, their son's dying, some really bad news, but you still have to be there with a smile on your face to, to try to take care of those people, even sometimes when they don't want to be taking care of themselves. So what else would you like to share with our listeners about how they might be able to make a difference in the opioid epidemic? Um, there's a lot of task force out there right now that need people to sit on, especially if you have 
firsthand knowledge. You had a loved one die. You had um, somebody that's close to you that fell to this addiction. There's a lot of places, um, groups um, in counties and stuff like that that need people on them to, to stand up and say what happened, how this happened. Um, you you have a doctor, you know, if you've got a cousin or somebody that you know a doctor's over-prescribing, you need to call the appropriate board of uh, pharmacy or the board of medicine and file a complaint. Hey, I've got, I seen this doctor and he's right, my cousin, way too many pain pills. Was well, a nurse practitioner or, you know, a doctor or a pharmacist, either one. Yeah, we've covered a lot of ground today. What have we not covered that you'd like to share with the families out there? You know, it's, it's a terrible thing. Um, you know, the resources we have to treat addiction are so limited and we're struggling to try to catch up everywhere. The, the government agencies, the regulated, the boards that regulate everything, we're just struggling to catch up because this sort of overwhelmed us. We didn't see it coming. And once it was here, nobody wanted to believe it was here when it was here. And so, you know, our county was probably one of the lead ones on it because we had a... Um, you were hit the hardest, weren't you? Well, we were hit the hardest. And we had a coroner, a physician, that's now it's a state representative, uh, Terry Johnson, that actually started looking at the deaths and started tracking deaths. And we got a small group of physicians and pharmacists together and we started talking about it, not blaming whose fault. Pointing fingers doesn't solve anything. We need to find out a plan and, and how to help treat it and how to, to fight it. And it's, sometimes it's the community taking back, we're not gonna let this house deal drugs down the street or sell heroin on my block. I'm gonna call the police department every day, two, three times a day until somebody does something about it. And sometimes that's what it takes for somebody to come in because most of the police departments track phone calls, how many times it gets reported that this person's selling something. Now, I'm not saying you make up stuff because you don't like your neighbor and you're blaming them for the drug epidemic, but but if you have somebody you know legitimately selling drugs, you know they can make that phone call to the police department every day if necessary until somebody does something about it. And eventually it's a squeaky wheel gets the grease type of thing. And if, if you yell enough, somebody's going to start listening. It might take a little bit, but you know that's what it is sometimes. Very good. Um, oftentimes people are concerned for fear of their own safety. You mean as far as you mean like a... Reporting somebody. Well, I think most police departments take anonymous. We have a drug task force that you can actually leave the information anonymously. Uh, I call them all the time. People actually come into my pharmacy because they know I was on the board of pharmacy and tell me things like there's this person selling drugs next door to me, give me their address, and I just pass along that information to the drug task force. So they take the information as a secondhand stuff and they add it to the information they already know and if they've got enough to go in and do a search order or try to go do a buy or whatever they do that good very good okay um troy i want to thank you you're welcome any last comments no i just again advocacy is the biggest thing you if you have somebody that's that's going to the doctor the hospital whatever they need somebody that's looking out for them you most of these professionals and what i'm talking about bad doctors you're talking about a very small percentage and and nurses and pharmacists there are a very sm small percentage most of these people are out there trying to take care of people but they're taking care of a lot of people and they're really really busy so i mean if you have a pharmacy filling 300 prescriptions a day and they're open 10 hours every two minutes a prescription is coming in the door and going out the door when you start thinking about that and you think if they talk to you for 10 minutes there's five more that now they didn't get out the door they got to catch back up on they're very busy people, so it's real easy for them to be so caught up with what they're trying to get done that they don't 
give the information out that maybe they would have if you just stopped and asked a question. I, I've not seen one yet that says, no, I won't tell you anything about that or it won't help you. So ask the questions. Advocacy is your biggest thing you have going for you. If you have somebody looking out for you, I just pray for the people that they don't have somebody out there looking out for them. Outstanding. Well, thank you again, Troy. You're welcome. We've been visiting today with Troy Games, owner and operator of Games Pharmacy in Lucasville, Ohio. I'm Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. With your support, the Cover 2 team can continue to research and broadcast these resources to others in need. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.